Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be lightning. It's very, very frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Yeah. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series, an informal chat about writing and the business and process of writing. Each and every panel benefits A26LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on A26LA, visit A26LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. Follow me on Twitter, at Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and via Nerdist.com. Uh, I've written for the series Super Ninjas and Supernatural. From their auspicious beginning on such series as Cuts and Big Day, our next panelists have found success as writers for My Name is Earl and Cougar Town. In addition to developing their own pilots for various networks, they are also uh, two of the funniest people I know. Uh, please welcome Jessica Goldstein and Chrissy Pytrush. <laughs> uh, just leave so they're comfortable. For say hi to everyone so we know what your voices sound like. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> They'll say hi so we know what your actual voice sounds like. <laughs> hi, that's my actual voice. And hi, Chrissy, Jessica. Or tall. That's all you need to know. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Enjoy that, podcast listeners. <laughs> His credits include The Simpsons, Not Necessarily the News, Saturday Night Live, The Dana Carvey Show, and many more. He created King of the Hill, which is super underrated, you guys. Like, it was on forever, but it is never rated as great as it is. And as the developer for the American Office, he's the co-creator of Parks and Recreation. Last year, he wrote one of the best pilots that didn't become a series, Friday Night Light, uh, Friday Night Dinner. <laughs> Not my Friday Night Lights. <laughs> this year, he's behind one of the best uh, that will, a comedy starring The Office's Craig Robinson. Please welcome Greg Daniels. <laughs> All right, let's get into it. Greg, what was it like to create Friday Night Lights? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had to go to Texas a lot, get it really accurate. <laughs> played a lot. It, it played into my football past. <laughs> As you can tell, I was a big athlete. Um, I wanted, I, I'm, I apologize, I didn't give you guys fair warning on this, but I wanted to ask the question that is, to me, the most pressing. And Greg, I, I thought I knew what that was going to be until I started doing my research today and saw the Simpsons episodes that you wrote, uh, the list of them. And they're some of my favorite episodes. Uh, they, you. You, you really had... It seems like you had a great time there, uh, at least creatively. Uh, was there something about working on that show that clicked for you? Was there something that you responded to about that show? Um, hmm. Well, I, I thought it was a great show uh, in season three, uh, especially, mm -hmm. um, which was airing... I guess it just aired when I got hired. And you were hired for five? For basically seasons five, six, and seven. Okay. And I was there a little bit at the end of season four. But um, uh, there was like a little bit of a transition at that point, and a lot of the people who had been there were leaving. And the thing that I think is kind of funny to me is that a lot of us were like, oh, we missed the glory days. <laughs> <laughs> All the new people coming in. Yeah, you know, we're going to close this show out. And then, um, 
you know, and then it went on for like, it's obviously still in the air, so <laughs> another 25 seasons or something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I love work. Yeah, I can't say I love working there. This is an interesting thing. I mean, it was it, when it when it was good, it was great. Mm -hmm. But there's a certain, um, you know, I don't want to whine, but we're all this is a craft conference for writers. Um, you know, there was a there was a lot of sitting in the room. I mean, the hours were very long, and um, you know, there 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 was a you know, it, it could get very fun when we were on a roll. And when we weren't, it could be, it could be pretty uh, grim sometimes. And I always would say, you know, people would always think that working there was as much fun as watching an episode, <laughs> which had been distilled from, you know, a million hour, man hours of work and right. everything. But, what, what was the stuff that was making it? I mean, we've talked to a number of Simpsons writers here and, um, you know, they, they kind of said the same thing. But what was the stuff that was keeping you guys there for long hours? What was the stuff that was being churned over? Was it story? Was it jokes? God. <laughs> I know it was some time ago. Um, yeah, well, you know, it's... Uh, I think part of it is there's no stage on a cartoon, mm -hmm. you know? So there's no... Um, you don't go down and go down, go down to the stage and watch a rehearsal sure. or... Uh, some of the things that add variety to other types of TV shows. So it's pretty, you know, and and you're you're also you're planning for something that's nine months away. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, I liked it. Obviously, I went into another twelve years of animation. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm sure. not going to complain about it. Um, well, it's a, it's not complaining. I mean, you're giving us a look at but yeah, uh, no, it's a, a, a snapshot of this show, which I, I, again was in its I, I learned part. a lot of stuff on The Simpsons, and yeah. I also came away saying I'm going to do certain things differently. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that I loved about Saturday Night Live, which I did before The Simpsons, was that the writers got to produce their own sketches, and mm -hmm. so there was a lot more variety. So, you know, I would I tried to have writers afterwards do other roles just to expose them to different parts of the sure. production. Sure. And just because I was always worried that they'd get really stale from sitting on the couch eating candy for 12 <laughs> hours a day, five days a week. That is something that doesn't come up a lot here. How much food is available in, in the writer's offices? Because it's a lot, right? What do you guys think? I mean, that to me, that's the totally the... the this, this is our expertise. The life of a professional writer is all about the food. You right? just count on gaining weight during the season, and then you lose it during hiatus, and you gain it during the season. And clearly it's not successful, yeah, it, the losing it part. Is, yeah, it's... <laughs> it, I mean, it, it's... It's amazing. Guys, if you want to eat, this is the job for you. <laughs> it's insane. If you like free food. Like, like full-size candy bars are just there. For no, I mean, it's like Halloween and, and in a writer's room are the only time full-size candy bars are this available. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. Um, but you guys are on a cable show now. Um, they didn't get you lunch, right? They didn't when it was on that particular show, even when it Even was, on network? Yeah, yeah. Even when yeah. on network. Yeah. I mean, I think it's more about the the showrunner and how they deal with you know budgety stuff. budgeties sure yeah the budgets <laughs> whether they like the writers but that's how people show love is through food trucks if you <laughs> when you want to say I love you and you don't know how you just get a food truck and that happens a lot there's a lot of love that's accurate. That's accurate. Um, I did not mean to get into food this quickly I, I we can stay here I'll t I'll talk more about food too please do. <laughs> I like to order the food for other people, which is not fair. I, see, 
people want to eat their own food, but at various times I've said like, all right, we're all going to have uh, yellow bell peppers for dinner, and then that's just what we do. <clears throat> and, um, you're a god. <laughs> I don't know. There's something, you know, sometimes when you're, you're feeling, you know, uh, put upon the arbitrary ability to have a chocolate cake delivered in five minutes. That's what, what the situation demands, yeah. Um, okay, listen, we're going to move on. We're going to go to something related. Um, and before, exactly. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll keep coming back to food. Um, before we're away from The Simpsons altogether, though, I'm curious about some of the other stuff that you learned from that experience that you did take to King of the Hill. Um, well, The Simpsons, I think, is the was the most professional joke writing I ever mm. saw. And um, what does that mean? Well, what that means for me is a two hat theory, where there's the hat where you're generating the comedy and I think this is applies to when you're working by yourself because when you're working in the environment of the room uh, everybody's very happy to tell you what's wrong with the script and um, but when you're at home sometimes you delude yourself into thinking everything's great and um, it's very hard to be very rigorous about your own material so I sort of uh, took away a, a theory of two hats which is you put on the the hat of negativity and you go through your stuff, and you don't try and fix anything. You just will write next to stuff like this could be better. This isn't. This I've seen this before. Whatever, as if it's not your material. Mm -hmm. And then you you do that pass, and then you put the the hat of generation on, and you try and beat all the jokes. And you know they're they're very very um, professional about the scripts okay. there. So really good habits there. And is that is that kind of that two hats something you fostered in future writing rooms that you were? I've running? never mentioned that before. <laughs> <laughs> this is a big secret. <laughs> but that's how I that's how I when I'm at home because when you're in the in the room you don't need to do that because sure. again you just say hey what's up anybody think of something better than this and people are happy to yeah, yeah. Um, I would imagine you know when you guys uh, Christy and Jess when you guys are working on your own material. You, there are two of you, so you must be able to do that very easily. How, what is the yeah. process between the two of you? We just have a rule of one of us doesn't like something, it doesn't go in. Because if there's only two people and only half the people think it's funny, probably it's <laughs> not as funny as it should be. So we also we have to do this thing before we start and before we start writing together, where we have to kind of do a. You know, I really think you're talented. I really think yeah. you're funny. Yeah. When I yeah. tell you, yeah. I think your jokes are shit. It's yeah. not personal. It's yeah, like, I mean, that was like year three of our writing partnership. We realized, like, oh, it's not about us at all. And yeah, then we saved a lot of it's, time. It's, yeah, <laughs> we we both uh, were partners before we got married, and our husbands are so much better off because of so how much we hated each other for yeah. like so many years. That we're the best we, fighters. Yeah, we're, we're like, I think what you're saying is this. Yeah. And here's how I feel. Well, let's go get dinner. Was so, it, what, what, so wait, what was it like in the three years before you guys came to that? Was it like, did you get anything done? We did. I, we did. We, we were really productive. Well, was it yeah. tumultuous? Yes. How, <laughs> no. how so? Like, what, what are sticking points between you? And how did you guys get over that well, really, to be the well-oiled machine that you are now? Really, I mean, it all boils down to nothing was personal. Mm -hmm. And in the first couple of years, it would Everything feel like... Everything was personal. Yeah, like, you know, I felt like... You know, I thought Chrissy was so talented, so I was t I was feeling defensive, and then we realized one day, you know, obviously we think each other are very talented, or we would not sure. pair up, and 
so that we just had to like. It, for us, it boils down to I. I feel like I'm the bully sometimes because I was born in New Jersey and my family is like very like we yell and scream at each other and then like two seconds later it's like okay cool you know we're done and that is not her family so when I want a joke to go in it was like what are you talking about and then I would stop and, and be like, like okay done and then I'd see her like shaking on the side so it's like Chrissy the bully versus Jessica the victim was like was our, was like how our, our mindsets and we mm-hmm. had to kind of realize like I'm not a bully you're not a victim we're, we're just we're people people right you guys don't need to be, to, to listen to this it, it's seriously <laughs> it'll be in our book <laughs> so you guys can have the hat of victim and the hat of bully yeah. it, it doesn't matter what the hats say as long as there are two hats at all times yeah. Exactly. you'll have a well-oiled machine um, so what is uh, let's get to the nuts and bolts for a second what is the process now for when you're working on say a pilot or your own material we have to outline everything together, and mm-hmm. then once it's in a place where we can split up, we'll each write half, and then we just pass it back and forth until okay. we're and ready to we get like, to the nitpick. like nitpicky part at the end, where it's like we can beat this joke, we can beat this, mm-hmm. then it's back together again. Yes. So you, so for okay, first of all, yeah. How do you decide who gets what half? I'm fascinated by it's partnerships. A, it's a very complicated process where I'll go like, I kind of want to do act two. And then she's like, okay. Right. Every right. once in a while, there'll be this scene where it's like, oh, son of a yeah. bitch, that scene. And then it's it's a lot of like, if you, if you do that scene, I'll yeah, do Yeah, there's, there's negotiating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. And then you pass it back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, how About how many times? Like till you're till you're happy enough to get it, get together and At do that final point, pass. We maybe pass it once or twice. That's mm-hmm. important. Yeah, that's efficient. Mm-hmm. I'm impressed. It's been a long time. Yeah, like sixty-seven year partnership. Finally, <laughs> finally got it down. Back to our right. days. Yeah. Um, and then my my only other question I have for a partnership is like, again, for pilots, really, how do you guys decide what project to do? You know, who brings what to the table or to the conversation, and how do you guys decide which one to chase down? Um, I mean, once again, it's what Jess said about jokes. You know, if mm-hmm. one of us loves something and the other one thinks it's okay, then unfortunately it gets thrown away, which is heartbreaking for the person who, like, loves it. But at, in the end, the reason you have a partner and you give away half of your paycheck and you have to make all these decisions mutually is because you think together your stuff is better. So mm-hmm. if if she doesn't like it, it's usually... Probably because it wasn't that good. And, and if not, we'll never know. Yeah. Because <laughs> it dies there. It's gone. Or, or it's really good, and when we finally break up and I start doing my own stuff. Right. <laughs> oh, do you two threaten each other with that all the time? Uh, that's how we start our day. Yeah. <laughs> we have to drive here separately in case one of us decides to break yeah. up now. It'll be a really yeah. awkward drive home. That's that's our, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Our pep talk is always like, write this as if it's our last. And then we do it. <laughs> that's horrible. Um, Greg. Uh, let's talk about comedy for a moment. Um, you know, you you and the people who have worked for you have been instrumental in helping to form the current comedy landscape. How's that sit with you? <laughs> um, yeah, that there, there is a. I feel like there's a sensibility that I like, and um, I mean, there's different. I love. Like there was a time when I I loved things like the in laws, mm-hmm. and there was a sort of and Monty Python, and there's kind of a, a sensibility. And then I remember very clearly being out here when the first Whoa! movie came, 
Um, <laughs> my friend Alyssa is in the audience, and I've said this a lot, but uh, probably not out loud. But um, <laughs> and I think it was apple pie. And I went to see that, and I was like, oh, let's see what this is. And I couldn't believe I was like I was a, appalled. <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, because the sensibility was so different, and it felt yeah. like uh, like Jerry Lewis sensibility, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, and then for years that was the dominant sensibility. Yeah. And I think that uh, uh, and and you know and you'd find like cool little things in the nooks and crannies mm-hmm. to to be excited about. Um, and I think uh, around the I think the Judd Apatow. Uh, you know, rise of Judd Apatow was great because I liked that sensibility a lot. And to me, that was, you know, the office had that kind of sensibility. And, um, but, you know, the wheel turns and perhaps it will turn again and that will become like this little minority sensibility that's passed on, you know, handwritten Mm-hmm. scraps in the prison line or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. But, I mean, what, what you hope is that, oh, you know, you get a chance to hire all these people and then they'll go off and, right. you know, there'll be lots of that sensibility out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's, I don't know. I didn't want to go negative. What, no, no. It's, uh, <laughs> so early in the campaign. I don't, <laughs> I don't think that is negative. I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. The stuff is cyclical. Um, how would you define this comedic sensibility that you do respond to and that you perpetuate? Um, I don't know. I think that there's a, I mean, to me, there's an element of, there's some element of realism in it, but I don't know if that's actually true or not. I don't, it's hard to say. I don't know. Uh, it certainly feels more, <clears throat> more grounded, you know, whether or not, whether or not it's real, you know, it certainly yeah. feels real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, I I love the acting. It's an acting thing more maybe mm-hmm. than a writing thing, even. I don't know, but I like I love the acting of Seth Rogen, for example. Mm-hmm. I think his acting is seems so effortless and tossed off and everything. And yeah. I'll contrast that with the mugging of. Was it? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. It's a very talented He's man. A, I don't know. Why. He's a longtime listener. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's interesting to me. I mean, King of the Hill, even for being animated, certainly had that very grounded, very real uh, approach to its characters and to its humor. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think uh, so. Um, is know. that something you had to pitch? Like, how do you get that across in selling that show? Uh, well, you know, that's interesting because, like, if the, the beginning of that show, one of it was pay- one of the things we did differently was pace mm-hmm. and. If you look at the Simpsons, early Simpsons, like I was talking about the early years, uh, it was much slower of a show. And then um, when they were trying to uh, do a new cartoon, um, a lot of times I think the pace was season five of the Simpsons mm-hmm. pace, which was much faster. And um, you know, by the time we had the pilot of King of the Hill, um, it starts with the guys just sitting around a truck, sipping their beers, and almost no words are spoken for like two minutes. They just go, yep, you know, like this, and they're looking at the truck. And I remember, you know, mixing that uh, with the line, our line producer, Joe Boucher, and um, we we had this feeling of like, weird, that was like a suicide mission or something, <laughs> that it was like so counter to every expectation that we were worried that nobody would watch it at all. Um, 
But, but, uh, but even previous to that, I mean, you had to, obviously you had a script and you had notes on the script. Like, this is a network show. So I would imagine, you know, you had a lot of feedback from the network as you went along. Was there a pushback on that? Were they looking for something more season five Simpsons? Um, yeah, probably. Uh, there was a lot of panic. There's always panic. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if you guys have have realized that that's the you know that thing that says primetime panic and deadline that's very accurate it's like <laughs> panic drives so much of the notes that you get um, but there was I, I as I recall a bunch of panic about the opening of the show but um, uh, but you know I I have a lot of uh, theories and a lot of it is just dust that I'm kicking up in front of the executives to try and get what I want and you know so one of the theories was about how how important it was to be very slow in the beginning so that people could learn the characters and all this kind of stuff and and I think it's partly true but I forgot the thread of where I was going with that. <laughs> well but the, and there is something to I mean you're not appeasing them but you are letting them trust you which goes a long way I mean that's part and parcel to working with a network. Yeah, well, you know what it was actually um, with King of the Hill, I guess, was uh, we were very, very committed to the Hollywood storytelling things that you learn from like a McKee course. And so when the when that's where all the notes come from. So if you're in that, if you can go back with that jargon and be like, we're, you know, this is all about stakes and this is all, you know, things like that. And I basically, you know, got so many notes on that on that score uh, over the seasons of King of the Hill that, you know, that's kind of like what I'm tr trying to transmit off into to other writers. And so, like, I have all these note cards on my above my desk, and stakes, motivation, turns, escalation is one of the note cards, and that was like ninety percent of the notes at King of the Hill were those four things. And, yeah, and you can you can feel it going wrong in a table read. You you do your table read, and it would be full of jokes, and you'd see that people are starting to get bored. You go, oh no, we broke one of those four rules. Damn it! And you know, and then yeah. you'd have a whole week of rewriting. Was this the stuff? Um, I was telling these guys. Mike Sher was here last week and talked uh -huh. about how when he came to the office, he and it was like BJ and Mindy, and like they had no idea what to do. Uh, and he said he still has the notes that he took from when you know a time when you started talking about story, but it wound up being wound up being a, a class on writing. Uh, are these the kind of things that you would have tackled yeah, in that totally conversation? It. Yeah, yeah. I mean, basically, if you're a showrunner, the faster you can get the writer's room up to doing what you would have done yourself, then the easier you can, you know, slack off and let other people do everything. <laughs> so, you you know, it's, there's a huge amount of training and, and um, you know, uh, pedantic kind of lecturing that happens. Well, if necessary. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, everyone has a different style. That's my style. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so th those are big ones, you know, and that happens in the story breaking. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, what are some other... You know, things like that. Oh, I, I had a lot, you know, I have a lot of taste things like with rule of three jokes, mm -hmm. for example, I would go through all the scripts and they're the thing that I find really irritating is a uh, dialogue that looks like there's one sentence, which is uh, a joke free pushing the story forward. Mm -hmm. And then there's a setup joke afterwards, you know, and it'd be like, uh, 
you know, I really need to, to, to go to the prom with her because I've been interested in her for 10 years. It's kind of like when, you know, and then some, some joke that has no connection to that. And so I'd always box the, you know, box the structure and make fun of the structure um, to them and stuff. Uh, and what's the fix for something like that? You know, when they're getting that note, what are you expecting to get back? Well, like, I don't like jokes. <laughs> at, that are that are jokey jokes. Jokey jokes, yeah. yeah that could have been, um, you know, in a gum wrapper, like, right. <laughs> <laughs> like double bubble or something. Bazooka Joe style yeah, jokes. Yeah, Bazooka Joe jokes. Um, we used to do that on The Simpsons. David Merkin was the showrunner when I was there, and uh, we had this gigantic barrel of double bubble. I guess <laughs> it was, and um, but instead of Bazooka Joe, they they had a character named Pud. And um, <laughs> so there'd be these these super jokey jokes, and at the punchline, Pud's arms would fly backwards. That was his reaction for some weird. He'd be like, <laughs> like this. When he, when there's an exclamation point over his right. head, and uh, we'd always go, "Oh, Pud!" <laughs> and so you know, those kind of Pud jokes don't sure. want. But I mean, I think what it is is natural dialogue, and it's like back and forth, and the joke is in what a character says to mm -hmm. respond to whatever prompt he's given. And, you know, supposedly, uh, you know, like, the, obviously the greatest the, the greatest joke, uh, of course, this is a really old-style greatest joke thing, <laughs> but the, the classic example was probably, um, um, you know, Jack Benny, uh, who was very famous for being miserly and... He's, um, you know, this is like from the 1940s. But uh, uh, somebody accosts him in the street and says, your money or your life, and he doesn't answer. And, you know, eventually he says, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, and so that was like, because he'd spent so long building up his character, and then they finally found like the best, the very best joke for that miserly yeah. character, uh, the, the classic situation. And so that's not really a joke, right? I mean, it's—I mm -hmm. mean, it is because of character, but it's not a set-up punchline or a—you know—it's kind of like the time or. Yeah, um, I, I think that's something. Yeah, that's something that we've kind of been talking around that you find that you've landed on is, you know, these the funny moments, the jokes do need to come from character, and that's something you respond to. And I think that's something you know, on Cougar Town, which can seem very broad, the jokes do come from character. And I think this was the case on Earl too. You know, it could be very broad, but even the jokey jokes came from a character, from the way the characters were built. Um, tell us a little bit about how you guys approach comedy. Um, I think you know we obviously come from a different place than uh, Greg does because we we are always working under big name showrunners. And the, the last two shows you mentioned had Greg Garcia was the showrunner of My Name Is Earl, and then Bill Lawrence, who's the showrunner of Cougar Town who are really good at what they do and are really successful at what they do. And I think it's because, like you're saying, they base their comedy out of their, off of their characters. Mm -hmm. But it's also what you were saying, Greg, where you, we go into every show and every new showrunner, and even though they're, these are two very good, uh, you know, Art, Accomplished. Artists? Did we say artists? Yeah. <laughs> They're artists. Thank you. Uh, we're doing like the sweaty balls. <laughs> They're artists. They're artists. Um, but, uh, I mean, they, they have very different... I mean, your yeah. goal when you go into a show is, all right, what is this guy like? Or what is this girl like? I wouldn't know. We've only worked with men. But, like, what does this guy want? You know? And 
they have very different sensibilities. You know, like, uh, you know, we've worked with Bill for four years now, so his is more fresh in my mind, but he is always looking for what's the, you know, it can be the funniest story in the world. Like, there was an episode where like, a guy almost drowns using a neti pot, but, like, what's the, what do they learn at the end? Like, what is that, that moment at the end? That is very important to Bill. Yeah. So it's like, that's something we, all right, all right, that's what Bill wants. So if we pitch him a story, we better have a great ending, you know, a, a great emotional ending. Or, you know, if uh, different, uh, like, cadences of jokes or different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like... Uh, Bill doesn't like exclamation points. He does not like exclamation points. <laughs> so we use them sparingly. Yeah, that's true. But Are you it, prone to exclamation points? Yes! <laughs> <laughs> but when you say that that's not really comedy, it's like playwriting or something, to me there's mm-hmm. there's a... There's an aspect of like just playwriting mm-hmm. that that is mostly what I would be concerned with. Uh, whereas the jokes, everyone can usually appreciate a great joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those are seem they seem like more obvious. But if there's a craft to it, there's I think it actually falls more under playwriting than comedy mm-hmm. or something. When the story makes sense and the jokes are just. Part mm-hmm. of the story is so like like right, crafting a quality, a quality narrative, and then the jokes are just. Part of, or am I totally lying? Yeah, no, no, I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> no, to me, it's funnier. Like I, um, I'll give an example uh, from King of the Hill. There was an episode uh, in the first season which um, uh, I didn't want to even do. I just used it as I pitched it to our executive as like, this is the kind of guy I think Hank Hill is. And it was this episode where um, he was constipated. Uh, and I was like, well, you know, look at the, the face that Mike drew is so constipated. And, you know, and it seems like that was a big part about it. And so uh, the executive was like, oh, you should actually make that into an episode. And um, so I was like, ah, oh, it seems like so low, you know. <laughs> so <laughs> to try and get jokes off that the entire right. time. Um, but so I, well, we worked on it and finally, uh, um, decided that if we, if we were like super serious about the, uh, characters worries about their, the health, uh, you know, that like it was basically a story of his wife worrying that he would never take care of himself and that he would have colon cancer or something. And she was super serious about this worries. And so we were, we like wrote away from the comedy as much as we could. We were like, well, we trust that this you know uptight guy being forced to have a colonoscopy is going to be funny. <laughs> you know, we know we can get jokes off that. Let's you know. So we spent almost the whole entire time trying to craft this medical drama just to get our poop jokes <laughs> to be you know <laughs> to be able to to land without embarrassment. And I think it made all that other stuff funnier because you know you were constantly like not uh, anticipating what value was going to be aimed at in the script. And to me, that's why I I like a little, I like drama comedy Mm -hmm. for the comedy, for what it does to the comedy so that you're not bracing yourself because you're slightly off guard. Like, I don't know what they're going for this moment. It could be funny or maybe it's sad. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So whereas to me, when, when you know it's comedy, comedy, comedy every second, 
the you can kind of be like you know all right make me laugh asshole <laughs> you know well there's something too about you know step and i like the office immediately pops to mind there there's something about establishing these comic characters and then telling you know whether it's mundane or tragic stories with them you know you're not reaching for jokes you're just telling these stories in these people's lives um you know how much how much in the room uh, on the office specifically were you guys saying we're writing a comedy this scene has to be funny or this line has to be funny and how much were you saying you know let's let's put this character through his paces well it totally depends on the character right mm-hmm. i mean like jim and pam are very I mean, it's great when you can make a comedy story involving them. Like, for example, this season we had one where Pam had invest, you know, spent all this time doing a mural, which was defaced by somebody in the in the warehouse, and she was really on a tear. and And I I was so happy to see her be really funny. But generally, those stories are like uh, played for drama, mm-hmm. and uh, other characters are played for comedy. and you know the only the only problem the only difficulty with it is that as the show gets uh older and you care more about all the different characters you know and and all those like moments that bill is talking about at the end of episodes when they start to add up for the comedy characters um you know everybody starts becoming very three-dimensional and human and lovable and whatever and it's harder to um you know it's harder to avoid uh looking for warm moments for people you know uh is is that something that you guys shied from on that show and i have the same question about my name is earl which kind of had that same sort of vibe where he would learn a lesson generally but you know it could also be very cartoony but but uh let's hear about the the office first you know were you did you shy away from getting too warm and fuzzy did you shy away from too much heart um, sometimes, they, sometimes you would, and then you know the notes or the actor would want it, or you know, there's different things that would happen. Um, uh, wait, oh, damn, I had a good, I had a good point for you guys. <laughs> I right. just lost it. Think about it. We'll talk about okay, Earl yeah, go to in them. that respect. Go to them. I don't think we've ever worked for anyone who shied away from heart. Mm-hmm. It's just the balance of it. Yeah, I guess that's more my question. Is like, what were the discussions around finding that balance? Do you recall in the room? I mean, sometimes the discussion is like, you know, have we already hit this? You know, mm-hmm. like something would come up and, I don't know, chase yeah, I, I honestly can't think of a moment where I was like, no, this is way too serious. Because I, I, I don't know, I personally find my favorite episodes of sitcoms are the ones where at the end you're just like, damn. And then, they, at the, and then they'll throw like a, you know, somebody right. falls on a banana peel at the end, you know, just to like cut the tension. But like. I, I I feel like if you can get to a place where it's a really it really is deep and there really is a moment and you know we we have, you know Courtney Cox who's on Cougar Town is a, you know has a, a really great scene with her father where she ends up crying because you know they're they're, they're admitting their love of, you know yada 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 watch the show and then you'll see yourself <laughs> but I mean like yeah, I mean, you know she's crying at the end of a sitcom and mm-hmm. and I love that episode it was great and the, so. I, Personally, and I don't, I don't think any of the showrunners we've worked for have ever been like too good guys. That's like way too deep. Let's, let's and take it a step yeah. back. Yeah, people don't have that many feelings. Or <laughs> but I mean, obviously, seems you, too real. Yeah, yeah, too grounded guys. But I mean, I, like at the, I mean, obviously, you cut the tension at the end with a mm-hmm. with an awesome joke. There's um, there's a tension between what's good for an individual episode 
and what's good for the series. And a lot of times, like for example, uh, the Steve Carell leaving the office was a really good episode. <laughs> not a great, not great for the series, but you know. <laughs> uh, and there was, you know, when 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 I had um, when I wasn't running King of the Hill, they they did an episode. I I can't remember exactly what the, what it was, but you know, we had made so much gotten so much juice out of the fact that the Dale Gribble character was unaware of the affair that his wife was having. And I think that he learned about his affair in the episode. And was like, oh, great, okay, that's a great episode. Now what the fuck are we going to do with that character for the next, you know, five years? <laughs> we, there's, uh, you just solved a lot of what made him funny. And, um, you know, I think a lot of, um, a lot of uh, humor is coming from characters who don't know themselves or have, you know, weird... Problems and a lot of heart comes from them learning about themselves or you know or solving some of their problems. But every time that they do that, which maybe makes a great episodic ending, you're chipping away a little bit at the engine, you know, for yeah. the show. And then sometimes it's uh, you know that, that maybe applies to shows with arcs more than a show like The Simpsons, where there's a reset button every every episode. Yeah. But well, you've, I mean, King of the Hill went for how long? 10 years? 11 years? I Something think 12. like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, The Office is in, nine. ending its ninth season. Yeah. I mean, and even Parks and Rec is going into what, five? It, in uh, if five it's picked now, up. Yeah. yeah. Into um, six if it's picked up. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, we, you yeah, are you living with this character. the bologna really thin. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm asking. I mean, <clears throat> there must be discussions about how much can we move this character forward. And something Mike talked right. about last week was Parks and Rec. Like, they just go for it at the end of every season because you never know. <laughs> right, right. It's a great, it's a great thing right. to not know if you're going to get picked up and you think, oh, well, this will be our finale. Yeah. You know, if every episode felt like your series finale, <laughs> you know, you'd probably have a lot of great <laughs> explosions happening. <laughs> But on The Office, where you guys were fairly assured every year of a pickup, especially, you know, once it kind of hit its stride, you have to worry about doling out these stories, I would imagine. Well, I mean, I think you do when you consider that the one of the big engines of The Office was an individual romance story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, uh, you know, shows that have that as the center, um, I think all have some, somewhat of the same... Um, decisions to make about how fast you advance it mm-hmm. and uh and i for me who was going into it not having written about that kind of stuff i mean king of the hills a family show and um you know i, I feel like i had more comedy writing than romance writing in my <laughs> background uh, i thought it was really interesting to try and debate that and we used to have these enormous debates on the writing staff and none of us had any kind of romance background mm-hmm. we were all comedy writers yeah. <laughs> and we were trying to you know figure it out uh and there were different shows where I'd go, oh, I think they blew it on this one because they kept them apart too long and they and got, you got invested in their fake boyfriend and girlfriend that they weren't supposed to be with. Like, um, I don't know if Bill talks about Scrubs. What the? Because to me, I thought the initial thing on Scrubs was going to be Elliot and and uh, JD as as that they were going to you know and I was very excited and interested in that um, and then they kind of rode away from it and they each got other other flames or whatever and and I don't think they ever did that did they ever do that I think they were together at some point right yeah. but it didn't stick yeah yeah it was interesting because you kind of got you, you were so invested in the alternate 
yeah. partners. I yeah. don't know if it's specifically because of that, but Cougar Town season one, you knew Jules and her next door neighbor were going to get together, <laughs> and Bill was very much like, we're not doing a will they or won't they. And, and it might have been because he just did it for <laughs> X amount of years on Scrubs, but it right. was... They're getting together, and by end of season one, they were together, and they've been together ever since, and it was never up in the air. And I wonder if it's because of the th- same thing you're talking about. Right. Well, I th- also think there's two different there's different kinds of relationships. Like I think you look at um, Sam and Diane from Cheers, and that was a relationship where they were opposites, and they were kind of they had such friction mm-hmm. that to have them date, there was still plenty of story and conflict and friction between them. And Jim and Pam were more like this Victorian sort of <laughs> slow, slow burn, you know, this mannered uh, yeah. courtship. Yeah, and they, and they were their soulmates, you know. And so when you get the two soulmates together, the, usually the thing's over. That's the end of the <laughs> Jane Austen novel or whatever. And um, you know, a, uh, once they got together at the end of season three, that we had a lot of milestones and and stuff, but it wasn't the same relationship of sparks and you know conflict Uh, so is is does finding story become a different conversation in the room once you can't lean on that anymore well it all depended because i mean um you know we were very enamored of their relationship and didn't ever want them to uh like cheat on each other or you know go through any of these soap opera kind Mm of ups and downs so we we kind of kept them happy for up until this season, yeah. and uh, knowing it was the last season, it was kind of like, well, let's see if we can get some drama out of them again. <laughs> <clears throat> and it's been interesting to see the fan reaction because, you know, <laughs> season eight, they were a lot of there was a lot of posts about, you know, oh, the Jim and Pam, nothing ever happens with them. What happened to the angst, you know? And then you put it back into it, and uh, they're furious. So. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Let's shift gears for a minute here. Um, Christy and Jess, we're coming into staffing season, and whether or not you guys are going you know, into meetings looking to be staffed this year, you have in the past, certainly. Uh, tell us about what a person needs to do to prepare for getting staffed on a TV show. You know, How do you get your spec in order? What is the attitude to cop when you go in? Um, what kind of homework do you do? Probably Google the person. You're going to know what the company name is, all the basics, so you're not asking questions. Um, Staff-wise, have your, I mean, your spec, standard, good writing, have it done, those basics checked out. I mean, if we're talking about, like, once you get an interview, I, I think you are not going, there's nobody in the world you're going to spend more time with than the people on, that you're on staff with. Like, you will see them more than your kids, your spouses, your parents, everybody. So, the best way to get your foot in the door in an interview, I think, is to be really nice and be... Be yourself uh, and hopefully yeah. yourself is pretty okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. If, not, you if you're a nice person, it. be yourself. If you're not, yeah. Uh, then, yeah. Nice. then act like yeah. yeah. But I mean, humble is like really good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, know that you, you know, you've got... It's good to know that you've got some talent, but like go in there knowing that these people have worked a lot longer than you have, mm-hmm. and they they've got stuff to teach you. And yeah. I mean, I, I don't know personally for for me with new young writers, I like the people that go in going like, "What can I do to help?" And mm-hmm. like you know, like this is awesome. I'm so happy to be here. I, I don't care how long I have to work. I don't care you know that that is that is important. Mm-hmm. 
Do you remember specifically your meetings with uh, Greg Garcia or Bill Lawrence? I remember the Bill meeting. Mm -hmm. It was Bill and Kevin Beagle. And we were, met, we were meeting them at a coffee shop, and they were meeting with this woman before us. And it was going long because it was such an amazing meeting, and we could see through the glass. And it was like, oh. and she wound up on staff with us. The Mary first Fitzgerald. words out of their mouth when we sat down were like, "That was she's Mary. Great. She's amazing. She's great. We cannot wait to get her." Okay. Great. Who was that? Mary who? Mary, Mary Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald. I love her. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I wish she was doing Mary. this panel with me. <laughs> she's so funny. She's got that That's Boston nice. accent. Well, and, yeah. you do know her. Oh, I know her, yeah. It's not, even it's not a bit. <laughs> no, she really is. She's great. Anyway. Wait, so, so how do you recover from that? Well, we went in, and I remember an early part of the conversation was talking about how blue their eyes were. I think they brought it up, so we were like, yeah, they are very blue. Compliment, compliment, compliment. No, it was, it was easy. I don't even remember... I, exactly I think happened, we, we go into every meeting feeling like, I mean, you know, you get the nerves, but it's basically talking to somebody, you know, somebody who makes, a, you know, their career is being funny, and you hope that your career is being funny, and it's just going and having a fun conversation, like, what do you, you know, what do you watch, what do you, yeah. you know, oh, you do that, I do. it's finding connections. And yeah, we used to leave meetings of being like, oh, I shouldn't have said that, and there was one meeting, like, a few years ago where Chrissy was really, really into cheese. <laughs> she wouldn't stop talking about it on the drive there. She was talking about like a cheese shop, and I was like, "Please don't bring that up." Like, and then she did, and the guy loved it. He was all into cheese, and they talked about cheese. And I was, all right, that was like a lesson. Like, don't, last, it doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, our, our last meeting, I I, I opened. And I, it's not like I opened, like I've got a set or anything. <laughs> what was on my mind at the time is I have a, a two-year-old daughter and twin six-month-old boys, and I hate my life right now. Like, I hate them. I think I love my kids, but I hate my life with my kids. It's super hard. Don't have kids. Let me just say that right now. And I, and I went in, like, and that's how I, because that was what was on my mind. So I started talking about it. And then halfway through, I'm like, oh, my God, these people are going to be like, what a horrible, soulless bitch this woman is. <laughs> like, these poor, innocent children. And I, I hope, I mean, we don't know yet because we haven't found out if I'm, in their eyes, a soulless, horrible bitch or yeah. a, a, right. a funny person that, that totally understands that kids are really hard. Like, who knows? But it's like that you I think it's hard to go into any meeting with an agenda. Like, you mm -hmm. go into the meeting saying, here's who I am, and right. and if they like it, great. And if they don't, then maybe you didn't want to spend you know, 20 hours a day with them anyway. Sure. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about the other side of it. Uh, Greg, as you're putting together a staff, uh, probably for this coming season and certainly for seasons in the past, what are you looking for? What kind of material are you, are you reading? Uh, and what kind of people are you talking to? Uh, well, if I knew that, if I knew somebody had three kids under two, I would hope that they hated their kids. <laughs> no, that's actually, uh, that's actually against the law. <laughs> so no I mean obviously the status of their marital status or their family status none of that matters um, I, think, I, I really do hate them I would love to get out of the house uh, I mean I think you're she, these guys are completely right about knowing that you're going to have to sit in a room with them for a really long time I feel like that aspect of it is the same as any job is, you know, you're trying to be a reasonable, nice person in the in the interview. Um, I, I think it, you have to take a little chance to try and make the other person laugh too, which is sometimes maybe an aggressive act 
which is risky in a job interview because you have to go out on a limb sometimes and you, you know, it is scary. You can blow it. But, um, but you know, from the other standpoint, you're like, Oh, those guys are super nice. They, sh <laughs> they deserve a shot, but you know, <laughs> cause they're so nice. Right. But if that's all it is, right. I mean, these, they are very funny. So, uh, but I think you have to, you have to go out of your way a little bit to try and make the other person laugh. Um, what about the material that you're reading? Is there something that you respond to? Is there a certain kind? Are you reading hours and half hours and plays and things? Yeah, I like I like to read plays. I like to read in, you know original pilots, um, mm -hmm. probably more, you know. But I I also ask for extras, you know. So if I like somebody's script, then I'll ask for something else mm -hmm. um, too. So. Uh, you know, it's good to have like a thirty rock or something where you're in a in a a spec, a, yeah, a real spec, spec traditional you go, spec. Yeah, you can go. Oh, he's got he's got Kenneth's character, so mm -hmm. or she does. She can figure out how to write in someone else's character. That's, that's always good. Yeah. Um, well, and that's really like like you guys were all saying. That's the job of the person on staff, right? Yeah. Is be able to get the voice that the showrunner is or the creator is is writing. Yeah, and if you know it's going to be a spec, it doesn't have to be arable. You know, it can be okay. much dirtier than. I mean, I don't know. I know that's cheating, <laughs> but um, uh, there's a team called the Allens, and they had a Larry Sanders spec that I still <laughs> that is. Uh, like so un unmentionable. It's, Why? It's so what was disgusting. it? That <laughs> no, it was great. You're gonna have to mention it. Yeah. Well, all right. I guess the the whole point was that. Um, do you remember the characters from Larry Sanders a long time ago? But uh, I guess Hank. Um, what was it? It was all about. I mean, it all relied. Ugh, I don't even want to get into it. <laughs> I can't. I'm is sorry. there a keyword? Is there a keyword? We should there know? was. Yeah. You know, it, all was, right. it was all about the That's transmission fair. of the horrible sexual diseases from different kinds of sex acts and different unexpected people sure. who the different characters had to go find in their past to confirm whether or not this was happening, and it named individual celebrities and how, how good they were at various acts. And I mean, it was you know. That's really funny. It was uh, you could never air any any single page of it, <laughs> you know. but it's still within the voice of the show. And I would but yeah, but the they, that, which was were, really fun, you yeah. know. If you've read a million that are that are like slightly less funny than an aired one, to to read one that's way funnier but impossible. Absolutely, uh, I shouldn't say that. Larry Sanders was a great show, actually. I don't think. Don't know if their spec was funnier, but it was very funny. Yeah, um, uh, and we've touched on this already a little bit, but basic tenets for. Uh, writing your spec uh, pilot. Uh, what are things that every writer should know? What are things that need to be in that script or that script needs to contain? Um, the cold open should be probably uh, really good. Like if you're going to mm -hmm. spend the most amount of time, it should be in that opening five pages. Do you want to talk about why? Um, to I mean get attention so that the person who's reading it doesn't immediately like okay I get where the this just is going if you can surprise somebody, you know this is more of a great question considering you're staffing and we're just reading our friend stuff <laughs> it's like, well but you've you know, also done a lot of writing yeah I mean I, I, for us it's like make, you know obviously like a concept you like and that characters and blah 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 but if, I mean if you want like one quick thing it's make sure the first five pages are really funny and end with a 
with a bang of some sort, mm -hmm. whether literal or figurative. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely agree. I think the, the first few pages are about your abilities to probably to write dialogue, <laughs> and then maybe around page five, uh, if you haven't hooked into some kind of interesting story, uh, you know, people start to lose interest, and and then um, you know, and then to have a great twist at some point. Mm -hmm. In this uh, in the story, I always find very appealing. So that I'm like, oh, okay, that's a cool story. I'm going along like this, and then suddenly I hit an act break. It totally spins the story in a new direction. I'm like, oh yes, <laughs> you know, get very excited <laughs> to read that. You got me. <laughs> yeah, you know, to me, that's. I mean, again, that's not really joke writing, but it's humor writing, and the story breaking is very humor writing oriented and then also I think it depends on what job you're going for because if you're going for a completely entry level job like if you're, if you're a staff writer level uh, the quality of the jokes is, is paramount like <laughs> if you can tell great jokes that you know if you can get somebody to laugh out loud reading the script from some of these wonderful jokes then you're in as a staff writer but if you're looking at to me if I'm looking at a higher level person I want to see the humor writing. I want to see the story structure, you know, mm -hmm. be good. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, it's not entertaining or anything, but it makes sense. <laughs> uh, let's get this question, and then uh, I have a few more. Uh, hi, guys. Uh, so what would you say is the most important thing or the most important things when you're building a character from scratch, especially if, like, you're specking a pilot or creating a whole new show? Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I like to. I mean, I like to say, well, what's what's unique about the the psychology of the character that could be a a comedy engine for a long time, and you know, so um, you know, we got a lot of mileage out of this Dale Gribble character. I, I brought it up earlier, and the essential. Um, issue for him was that he was sort of paranoid uh, you know conspiracy theorist who couldn't see this enormous um, <laughs> you know betrayal that was happening right in front of his face and it makes you kind of go well which came first you know was the was he is he aware on some subconscious level that his wife's cheating on him and he just is projecting it outward into into the world or whatever but to me that was like a really fun like comedy engine and then you know somebody like Michael Scott has had like um, you know we kept constantly refining that character and adding weird stuff to him <laughs> uh, and um, but you know essentially he's a person who desperately wanted other people's affection but kept uh, was terrible at it was like just bad at social interactions and you know would insult people constantly uh, which, I mean, that is a great baseline for a comic character, right? But tell me a little bit about uncovering these other aspects as you guys went along in the first few years of the show and realizing before, before what forget, was and wanna, wasn't. Before yeah. I forget, I want to make a, a point about The Odd Couple, which I love. I sure. think The Odd Couple was like one of my favorite shows. And there was something um, that was like this, uh, um, you know, this engine mm -hmm. uh, the system created, like the weather system of the <laughs> Earth or something, you know, where... Like you know, when you see the cycle of precipitation and evaporation, and you know that it's going to keep going, mm -hmm. yeah. So there's something about that, about the fact that the one guy was this horrible slob, and the other guy was this neat freak. And um, I think 
often I'll see stuff where the there'll be a horrible slob and he'll get paired with like a guy who's got anger management issues or something. <laughs> and you'll say, all right, well, those are two characters, but they don't like feed on each other in the same way. And, um, you know, so uh, one of the things that I thought was really brilliantly constructed by Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant in the office was how the the four main characters kind of fed on each other in the sense that uh, uh, Michael had no social skills but desperately cared what other people thought, and Dwight did, could give a shit what other, anybody thought, <laughs> but also had no social skills. <laughs> and, you know, Jim didn't really care about what other people thought but had wonderful social skills. And, you know, they they, yeah. they all were like, they fit into each other nicely. For example, to go back to King, King of the Hill, um, yeah. uh, in the third episode... We had an episode where they had brought Bobby along on a snipe hunt, which was this sort of Texas tradition of, you know, this finding this fictional bird, the snipe, and but just a way for like the old, mm-hmm. the old guys to make fun of the young guys, and um, and Bobby uh, captures like a, a rare egret that's like a protected species, <laughs> um, and. Uh, and Dale becomes this horrible coward and immediately turns his friends into the ranger and is just the biggest coward ever. And, you know, that wasn't a part of his character until that episode. It was really early on. And we were all like, yes, 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 this is great. This fits in beautifully with who he is. And we'll be able to go to that for a long time. And, you know, and a lot of little things that crop up, like even tiny, tiny things in the pilot. Like anytime there's a joke in the pilot, as the series goes on, Every joke in the pilot becomes its own episode in the series later. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that, yeah, right? And um, and then you know, there's this other thing where stuff that begins as jokes, if it's a particularly fruitful joke, it'll then come up. It'll become a runner, and then you'll see it later, and then it'll start to like like a seed that starts to get a you know become a plant. Like it turns into an episode, and then it becomes a whole thing. And you know, so it, it kind of grows out of the discussion of the writers, though. Yeah. I always think that, like, I've been reading, like, a separate piece when you're, like, a sophomore in high school, and they're like, the tree symbolizes this thing, and I always wonder, did the author really go, like, this tree is going to symbolize this, or was he like, oh, he should fall out of a tree, you know? And I think, like, a lot of the things you find in, you know, at least in the things that we've worked on, it's not this, like, well-thought-out plan that's been there from the beginning. It's like... Uh, you know, like Greg's saying, a couple episodes in, you realize this character and this character, maybe they have this thing, and let, let's go with that. And then by the third season, that's like a huge thing that just feels like it's always been a part of the show. And I mean, a, a lot of a lot of the show, you know, that there's like the the basic characters, like you know, she is this and she is this, and but all of the details, all of the layers are just it, it's all organic. You know, it's it's not the tree was nothing. The tree was a tree, and now the tree is. I don't even remember what the show was. That was a long time ago. But, but psychology is very important, right? You have, I feel like you have to really um, uh, enjoy discussing the psychology of the characters. And the thing that I would do with the show in pre-production for the first week is just all discussions of psychology. It's like, oh, what's this kind of guy like? What's that person like? Have you? Is there anybody in your past who reminds you of this? Why are they funny? You know, and there's so many interesting, funny people around mm-hmm. in your own life. And if you are a fan of like analyzing them and trying to figure out what, <laughs> why you're laughing at them, you know, uh, 
that to me is like the the first stage. Sure. And figuring out what makes that character tick and yeah. Yeah. how and, to relate and, to it. And wh- what's like what are the contradictions mm-hmm. in the person? Yeah. Sure. Do you remember some of those conversations that came out during? I mean, The Office was a long time ago, but Parks yeah. and Rec or the other stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, completely. Yeah, I mean, I do remember them. Yes. <laughs> Do you want to tell us? Do you want to tell us any of that? Well, I mean, you know, that's like, I don't know. I mean, that's, that's uh, just, uh, I, I don't know how to recount the whole conversation. I mean, you're familiar with the characters. Mm-hmm. I, it's uh, the stuff we see on the screen, I would imagine. And, and a lot of times the actors bring in stuff. Yeah, definitely. Anything that was good is you'll you saw on screen Mm -hmm. but like um, with Dwight for example um, uh, I had a lot of um, thought about Dwight and I I sent Rain a huge email at one point that he found helpful of all my weird thoughts about Dwight but then he was was improvising in an interview and he said um, Dwight Schrute uh, my father's name was Dwight Schrute my grandfather's name, Dwight Shrewd. <laughs> he said Amish. And as soon as that was like that, we were like, ah, that's nice. <laughs> and, um, you know, and that kind of went and took the character in this sort of rural direction. And a lot of it came out of Rain's own um, family. And, you know, for various times, uh, this is a fun thing I'm sure you've noticed, is you write something about the character's backstory. The actor has to provide photos you know, if like um, if you want to do something about when the, the character was 12 years old, the actor has to go find his own photos of himself when he's 12 and bring them in so they can be manipulated into whatever the joke is. And Rain came in with this photo album of himself. You know, he grew up like in rural Oregon or something, Washington, and uh, and he came in and just started talking about all of his uncles and aunts and you know these kind of farm people. And um, you know, and and it was it was kind of cool because. You didn't want the character to be a, um, you know, one-dimensional nerd or something right. like that. And uh, so the idea of like a kind of anime-loving, um, you know, metal rock listening to farm nerd <laughs> was like, oh, that's cool. That's a lot of, yeah. you know, things. Uh, and it seems like Cougar Town is a show that does this quite a bit too. Where I mean, Cougar Town itself came out of an in-joke in the writer's room of Scrubs, but, um, you know, a lot of the the stories that come out of the show, it becomes organic to the show. What's the in-joke? Oh, oh, oh go download that episode. Is that widely known? <laughs> I, I think so. I, I, I mean, it, I'm sure Bill would tell it better, but it, I think it's basically, uh, they were talking to Bill about, when, you know, maybe you could develop a show for Courtney Cox and... They were pitching on what's like the craziest things that the network would immediately buy, and one of them was like, "She's forty, but she wants to date twenty-year-olds." It's called Cougar Town Done, and it was like a joke. And then, yeah. and, and then that joke became uh, going into its fifth season. Um, but have you guys seen that kind of stuff? You know, the, whether it's these little things that either come up in the writers' room or with the actors that become yeah. part of the mythology of the show. Yeah, definitely. We we knew one of the actors was in an Atlantis Morissette video, so <laughs> there's always this goal of getting there someday. And then as we were watching a couple of videos, we found another act, cast member was in another Atlantis Morissette. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, Wait, who were they? Um, 
Josh Huffkins was the one we knew, and then Ian Gomez was also in. Oh he, I don't remember which one he was in, but he was like wearing a suit. It was like a party scene. I that. It was just like, uh, how are all the characters going to be in videos? <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, another question? Hi. Um, I was just curious that. Um, having written for different shows and different types of comedy, how you kind of balance, like if you come up with a great Cougar Town joke that you can't use anymore, if that still kind of happens. Do we use it for other things? Is yeah. like, can you can you adapt it or like, do you just have to like, no, no, sometimes, sometimes. We never share good jokes. We just keep them for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, so, well, if we pitch some, I mean, if it's like someone else's joke, I would never, we wouldn't be like, oh, that thing they said, we're taking that and putting it in our pile. <laughs> but, or do you mean like, let's say we're not in Cougar Town anymore, and we're like, you know, that would have been really funny for Jules. Kind of, it, oh, I, yeah, there are things that, like from show to show, we'll be like, you know, it, it, we'll find a, some. We don't always set out to make it fit, but it's in our heads. And then, if a situation presents itself where it could happen, sometimes there's a way to re-angle something that if, if, we didn't if use. If a before. joke is funny enough, at least you know what we think is funny, then we will force feed it into anything we write. <laughs> curious about this from you too greg are there stories you've been trying to fit into one series or another something uh that keeps coming back that you haven't found a place for or that you did finally find a place for that made you very happy uh like personal if they are they're personal stories Mm -hmm. like this happened to me uh for example um so my wife and I are living in a, an apartment uh, in L.A., um, and the fridge was really old fridge, and it just died. And um, I became uh, obsessed with eating the food in the order of expensiveness. Because <laughs> I thought it was like a rational way to, <laughs> you know, to, to proceed. Um, so I, you know, took all the frozen pizzas or whatever, and I tried to figure it out. Anyways, I, I don't know. That's something that happened to me that I've been kind of sometimes it floats around. I'm thinking, can I use that? That's kind of funny. Um, you know, this but. Uh, this and sort of a bigger question, and it's something we used to talk about on these quite a bit. But you know, whether you created the show or not, is there room for your personal voice, your personal vision, the things you like or the stories you like to tell on a show? Uh, say when you are, uh, you know, writing on the staff of a show and it's not your show. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you just pitch and pitch and pitch and things get taken and, you know, sometimes they're changed, but sometimes you can see yourself in it. But mm-hmm. I don't think we've ever written on a show where the first at least hour of the day and sometimes 95% <laughs> of the day is just people talking about what happened, to, you know, how was your weekend? What happened here? Oh, my God, this thing happened. And I mean, getting your stories in is not a problem. Like, I mean, like, yeah. that, I mean, especially, you know, season two, season three, you start, like, running out of stuff, and you're just like, what happened to you? <laughs> Tell me what happened, you know? So, so that, I mean, and, yeah. you know, there, there's a slight frustration, and if you really love a joke, and, you know, this is so my sense of humor, that's the joke, and then, you know, the, the big boss man decides that's not quite it, and he changes it or whatever, but, I mean, that's... That's the belly of the beast. That's the <laughs> like, you know, yeah. that's just, yeah. yeah. The, the, the more frustrating part would be, I think, is if you had a very personal, funny story that, and you say, all right, I'm going to spend it on Cougar Town or whatever. And then the natural course of 
rewrite happens and it gets like distorted oh, yeah. and you're like, ah, damn it. It's too close. I can't use it again yeah. because, you know, whatever, but it didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. You know? Have you bumped up against this in, in shows you've worked on? Um, totally. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's, uh, and a lot of times you're, you're forced to like retreat and just make one thing super important to you. Mm-hmm. That's something <laughs> achievable <laughs> when you're being rewritten. Um, and uh, that's, a, that's an interesting thing to talk about, I think, is the, the process of being rewritten. You come in with your script, you're super excited and proud of everything, and then the process has to take, take over. And from the, from the like, um, manners aspect of it, you can't be too defensive. Sure. You have to have this attitude of like, yeah, whatever, yeah, go ahead, you can make it better, sure. You know, and it's just like painfully, you know, everything. Um, you know, but you have to, you know, hopefully you're in an environment where people are making it better when they're changing it. How much of your shows are room written? How much are written by the individual and then rewritten by the showrunner? Uh, well, it completely depends on how good the first draft is. Mm. Because if the first draft comes in and it's great, then you're super psyched. And you're like, oh, thank God. This table, you know, just read that. And we just saved ourselves a week. And now wow. let's turn to breaking. You will get ahead for a week. Yeah. And then there's other times when it comes in and... Either they were sent out with something that didn't work or the the person used that week to move and get married or whatever <laughs> didn't write it until the night before. Whatever happens, you know, when it's a much bigger rewrite. But uh And when you say they were sent out with it, are the the your shows are generally broken in the room and outlined in the room? Um yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, again, a person can come in and pitch something that is so complete. Mm-hmm. Um, damn it, what was it? There's something that Dan Graney came in and pitched something this year, I think, or last year. Oh, man. And the the joke of it was it just like sort of all oh, laid out like in 10 mm-hmm. seconds. You know, you just were like, oh, great. Okay, I, never, I can't believe we didn't do this before. <laughs> bam, 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 bam. And you sent him off to outline. I forget what happened to him. But, <laughs> let's let's but yes, say that's I what think happened. So. Like it was that complete. I that think yeah, it was. Really, it was it comfortable was, enough doing. Yeah, that. you know, you're like, oh, okay, this is great. We all enjoyed right. enjoyed it very much. I can't believe I'm blanking on what the actual story was, but um, you know, and then there's other times when you're so convinced that this should work. Like we had Paul Eberstein and I had this this story at King of the Hill that we tried to break for years. Uh, that was uh, Hank getting audited, and Paul had been an accountant briefly. And was convinced that there's something really funny about an audit happening, <laughs> and um, you know, couldn't just couldn't break this. And Justin Spitzer also uh, has this story idea for the office that he's had for like now, for and now he's in that <laughs> that situation of let's see if he can work it into a new show or something. <laughs> but it was the idea of a 360 review, right? Which is the th- true thing from business where a person will get reviewed by their boss and then their peers and then whoever works for them and you know confident that that would be an awesome episode we took run at it you know probably three different times couldn't break it and he was and it would always find its way back on the board like which i always thought was really funny um you know i'd come in i go what do you what do you guys got you know what do you have and be like oh look there's there's 360 review again, but it's called something different now. It's called the round the horn review or something. <laughs> uh, another question. 
Are there any books on the subject of writing comedy that you guys like in particular or would recommend to us? No. <laughs> no. I like one called uh, Writing for Doe by, uh, I think it's Bill Idelson. And it's uh, not a big one, but it's... What about it do you like? Well, you know, it's... Um, uh, the main the main like point of it is that you, the writing should that writing in the entertainment industry needs to do something to the person who's reading it or taking it in or watching it or whatever. It either needs to make them laugh or it needs to move them or scare them or something. And writing that is just sort of meandering without actually doing something to the viewer is not gonna get and no one's yeah. gonna pay for that. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. I would I would follow that with, you know, are there models for comedy that people can look at? Obviously, so much of it is subjective. But is there stuff that, you know, you think is kind of platonically works uh, and is something that should be in every comic writer's uh, arsenal? Or vocabulary, I should say. To me, a surprise is if you're going to get super, like, mystical... Or whatever. Yeah. It feels to me like surprise is very important mm-hmm. for comedy. Like, if I'm not surprised, then I'm not going to laugh. And mm-hmm. so, if you're telegraphing what the joke is or your joke is too familiar or whatever, it's, it's not going to yeah. do the job. I like, I like heart at the end. I'm, this is, I mean, that's a totally personal thing, but I, but at the same time, I would say one of my favorite shows of all time is Stranger with Candy, which is crazy <laughs> insane. But I mean, at the end, it was, like she, you know, she wanted me on the debate team, but she was too fat. Like there was a lot of I don't. I, like I, I find that when when we're writing, I tend to generally want to be, you know, write a little bit more, you know, realistic, meaningful, mm-hmm. or something emotionally recognizable. Nothing it makes you like. laugh as much as heart. <laughs> right. That's need to be sad that's to why be you hate your children. <laughs> There's nothing to laugh about there. <laughs> I would also ask: Is there is there stuff you know that you that was either influential to you or that you've come across even in the past few years that makes you laugh every time or makes you laugh without fail? Well, I love that Nathan for you. You were mentioning that you were trying to get him to, <laughs> How dare to come you. on the show. Yeah, try harder. <laughs> but that's very recent. Go ahead. Um, uh, kind of embarrassing. I am uh, still obsessed with the Golden Girls. Like obsessed. Like my 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 daughter's name is B. My son's name is Arthur. I swear to God. Uh, I, I I I can watch every. And thank God I married a man who loves it as much as I do and can quote it along with me. It's I, I could watch every. What episode what is it for you? Does it is it just the nostalgia button or is there something else? I don't think it's nostalgia. I don't I don't I feel like when I when I watch it I'm. I think it's like well-crafted jokes and like a well-crafted story, and there there is heart to most of them. And I, I mean, I'm not saying every joke. You know, guess what? Rose doesn't have AIDS in that episode. That wasn't like a big shock or anything. But it's I, I, I don't know. I, I have never delved deep into the to why I love it so much. I just I truly love it. I think it, I think it's just good writing personally. And that will get me not hired in. <laughs> Are you? I'll tell you that Estelle Getty was in that spec that I was talking about. <laughs> that raunchy spec. <laughs> Horrible. Horrible. Uh, any more questions from you guys?
No? All right. I want to talk about how the... I'm sure this is well-trod, and I apologize for having you having to tell it again, Greg, but um, how did the office... Uh, how did you become the guy to develop it for American television? And take me through that process a little bit, and then, then we'll wrap up. Um, well, I saw the British show first season. Um, I wanted to meet the people who had made it. I didn't understand how it was done. I thought it was so great. Um, I didn't have any expectation greater than meeting them and finding out some of their secrets, uh, which is probably the same impulse that drove you guys to come to this thing or whatever. Um, and uh turned out they were huge Simpsons fans and had liked very much the episodes that I had done on The Simpsons, and their favorite one was Homer Badman. <laughs> um, and so we talked about that a lot. And, uh, and then, you know... To me, uh, the, some of the tone of King of the Hill, which is sometimes poignant and more realistic, was something that I could talk about confidently and uh, as being something that I saw in, in the office. And so whatever it was, I convinced them that um, you know, I, was, uh, I would do a good job with it. And Ben Silverman, I think, um, was you know, there for all of those and mm-hmm. liked what he saw or whatever. Uh, yeah, so I got the gig to do that. <clears throat> what were some of the challenges in translating it? The biggest challenge was that it started to be aired in America. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that, you know, like All in the Family, you never see the British show that All in the Family is based on, and I was kind of hoping to get away with not having any comparisons. Uh, but then the BBC America started airing it with, like, the idea that it would air it and try and kind of take advantage of all of our publicity going into the NBC version. And, um, and then a magazine uh, writer wanted to shadow me for the whole pilot process. And I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> and I was asking them more about it, and they were, they were saying, they, you know, there was a, I talked to the editor at this actual magazine, which I won't name, but they said, um, I said, it kind of feels like you've already written this article. And they were like, yeah, don't worry, you'll come out okay. It's just NBC we're going to make fun of. <laughs> so I was like, nah, I don't think so. Um, so there was a lot of, you know, haters. <laughs> Early on, it, it, yeah, thing, things were against you guys. I mean, with the, with the UK version airing, I would imagine, you know, you had to change, change course fairly quickly. You had to make the show your own. Well, also it was depending on where we were going to sell it, because I think that... I had signed on to do it, and then, then I realized that there was airing in America, and then it it got like the air, when it aired in BBC America, it got about eighty eight thousand viewers a night, so it was very low rated, and, um, but they were the eighty eight thousand like hippest comedy people, right. <laughs> you know, every, anybody you cared about was part of that eighty eight thousand, unfortunately. Um, but so I think we had planned on selling it to like FX or something cable and then when it was already on cable, it was kind of like, well, you know, let's. Uh, and then Kevin Riley switched from FX to NBC and was very interested in buying it. And then so a lot of the er- initial thing was just trepidation that doing it on NBC, we would not be able to keep the same spirit that it would, you know, because they, they all their shows were um, at the time. I guess Will and Grace was their number sure. one show, and they all were 
you know, much more like multi-camera and mm-hmm. fast-paced and everything. Mm-hmm. And talking about pace, like we were talking about King of the Hill, <clears throat> the uh, first promos that came out for The Office were cut by the promo department to the pace of a Will and Grace episode. <laughs> and so there was no air. It was just yeah. line, 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 line. Didn't make any sense <clears throat> from our show. You know, they looked horrible. Weird. It was terrifying. And, and then we... Um, you know, we were like, God, it seems like if you just did 30 seconds of the show, you know, playing out with the pace that's going to be on the show, it might be okay. And uh, it was hard to convince them, but but then they got the hang of it. Uh, and was there a time that you guys started to feel comfortable in the show you had created? Uh, that the writers started to feel comfortable? We were always could, comfortable, were yeah. You? We were super psyched. Once it was established, they weren't going to change the tone and all of that. Yeah, well, that was, I didn't have a writing staff at that point. That was during the pilot, yeah. And, um, yeah, so obviously it was, uh, uh, you know, I mean, there was, there was a lot of tussling in the edit of the pilot because I, I had to do 23 cuts, I think, of the pilot before they stopped giving me notes on it. <laughs> and the, the essence of it was uh, I, we had shot all these shots, which are, na- which are in our main title of, like, copiers just making mm-hmm. copies and stuff. And... Um, you know, and I'd left them in the cut, and uh, Kevin was like, "We get that it's a boring environment." <laughs> He's like, "It's got to. You have to make it a little funnier <clears throat> for NBC." Yeah. And he was, you know, he was completely right. Um, and now, you know, you guys are coming in for an ending on this. You know, is, has it hit you yet? Well, I'm editing the second to last one, and I, I have a sense that the last one. I need extra time on because it's a 81 minute mm-hmm. rough cut. But I, I, <laughs> you may need some more time. <laughs> I actually haven't watched it yet, which is weird. Really? Uh, yeah, if you're talking about something like I started to watch it and I was like, ah. And, um, you know, I'm trying to kind of keep it in the same. Like, I, to do that, I'd have to put it out of order. Mm-hmm. Like you're, so I, I concentrated on the next one ahead of, ahead of it. So I'm going to have to get into that next week. Mm-hmm. And, um, so you're still very much in the production mode and, and don't well, have the it's distance sad. I mean, yet. Everybody's gone. Yeah. It's just me and Post over there. The yeah, when did the writers gone. wrap? They wrapped, you know, mentally. <laughs> they wrapped. Season seven. <laughs> <laughs> no, they were, they were um, you know, they're mostly gone. They were there for the shooting of it, but they were, you know, not, they weren't sure. doing anything really. And then and that was a while ago, so they've been gone for a while. And they, they wrapped the set, which is, you know, it's just like you're just seeing them, you know, all these guys carrying out bones of the set. And, <laughs> and they're all sitting in the parking lot now. And it's just like, it's, uh, it's sad, I suppose. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Let's, let's wrap up here, uh, starting with Jess and going down to the end. What are you watching on television? What are you excited to be watching on television? What are you talking about with your partners, either of your partners? Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm watching The Americans and The Following, mm-hmm. which are about to end. And um, I love Parks and Rec. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. Right now. And I keep, this is not TV, I keep going back to Step Brothers in between everything. <laughs> that's, where my really? right, that's where I am right now, yeah. <laughs> Why do you keep going back to them? Um, it's my brainless laugh a lot. I love it. What? So my, I have a 14-year-old son, and same thing. Same thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm so impressed with that, because I love that movie, too. And, <clears throat> that's great. 
Uh, Chrissy, what are you watching? What's getting you inspired? I believe you all know I have three kids and a two, so nothing. <laughs> I have no free. Um, I'm the worst uh, TV person who makes their money on scripted television in the world. I like Bravo reality shows when I have any free time, and when I don't, have, and I, most of the time I don't have free time. So. <laughs> She tells me what's funny. That's fair. <laughs> the recounting counts. It's, it's hurting our relationship, but she can't talk to me about certain things. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Did you take separate cars here? No. <laughs> Ugh, tough ride home. Uh, Greg, are you watching television? Do you even have time to watch yeah, television? Yeah. Um, what are you watching? Well, I, like I was saying, that Nathan, for you, I really think is funny. Um, <clears throat> uh, I love Game of Thrones. Yeah. watch that a lot. Um, and, you know, I've been uh, recently binge-watching Columbo on Netflix. Uh, this is, I'm not even kidding you, this has come up more in the past, like, six weeks among TV writers. Columbo specifically? Columbo specifically. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. That's, that's so funny. Um, yeah, it's such a good show. <laughs> it is. <laughs> and, um, and they're really long, you know? And they're, they're also, hour. like, the greatest sort of bedtime show because the pacing of it is, um, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it on many, many levels. I love, I love Peter Fox acting. He's it's a great, great character. Um, it's like invisibly compelling, kind of like you don't know why you're so into it. You know, I've been really thinking, why am I so into this? Because it's not a mystery. This is the people. This is the thing people forget. It's not a mystery. You know who did it. Yeah, but I think there's so much more to it. I think there's also the fact that he's so low status mm -hmm. in all of his... He's constantly, like, rubbing up, you know, fighting these art gallery guys. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and he, you know, his car is terrible, and he's really... He's, you know, he's... Everything that he can do to be lower status, they made him be, like... You know, he's, he's scared of heights. He's scared of horses. He's, like... Um, it sounds like a pussy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but he's not. He's great. Uh, <laughs> And then the other great thing is you get to see the valley in the 70s, you know? So it's like all these great cars, and they're driving past these, these buildings, and you're like, oh, my God, look at that building. It's clean and, and new then, you know? And I don't know. It's wonderful. I went through all the murder she wrote recently. This is not also not giving me any street cred whatsoever. But it's really funny seeing actors from the 80s. Like, who, I mean, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt has a bit part in one. And uh, it's like... Courtney Cox was in one. All that stuff. Yeah. There's, and it's the same thing. It's like that soothing, like you're on a boat being rocked to sleep as you watch it. It's yeah, like, yeah. It's a great nighttime. Yeah, because the pace is so, yeah. I mean, you can you could fall asleep and you wake up again eight hours later and you're still in the same episode. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Please give a round of applause to our panelists, Jessica Goldstone, Christy Padraj, and Greg Daniels. Uh, thanks to everyone here at Nurse Industries and Meltdown Comics and 2826 LA. Go run outside. Now leaving Nerdist.com.